You're listening to NEMAcast, the podcast channel of the electro industry. In today's episode, NEMA Industry Director for Utility Systems Division, Jonathan Stewart, and a special guest from Hubble Power Systems will discuss surge arrestor basic lightning impulse insulation levels. Hey everyone, thanks for joining us today. This is Jonathan Stewart with NEMA. I'm the Industry Director for NEMA's Utility Products and Systems Division and specific to our podcast today, NEMA's High Voltage Surge Arrestor Section. I'm here today with Ryan Freeman of Hubble Power Systems. Say hi to everyone, Ryan. Hi everyone. Ryan is a product manager with Hubble Power Systems, focusing on the development of medium and high voltage surge arresters. He's an active member of the Institute of Electrical and Electronics Engineers, where he participates actively on IEEE's working group for uh, 693. He's also uh, an active member of IEEE's Surge Protective Devices Committee. Beyond North America, he's engaged internationally on standards and harmonization with the International Electrotechnical Commission, or IEC's Technical Commission. 37 and Seagray's working group C4.39. But perhaps most important of all, Ryan is an invaluable member of NEMA's high voltage surge arrestor section, which is why he's here with us today. Ryan, thanks so much for taking time out of your busy schedule to join us. Thanks, Jonathan. Glad to be here. So this is why we're here today, right? This podcast that we're going to do is intended to explain surge arrestor, something called surge arrestor basic lightning impulse insulation level or commonly known as BIL, and to clear up a common misconception about arrestor BIL versus system BIL. So Ryan, let's level set from the outset with the audience. What is BIL and why is it important in as much as it relates to surge arresters in particular? Sure, so BIL is the electrical strength of insulation for a standard lightning impulse. It's a common characteristic used to define insulation requirements for a substation, and it's generally imposed across all equipment, such as insulators, switchgear, bushings, and other devices. The characteristic applies to both self-restoring and non-self-restoring insulation. So naturally, my next question is, what's the difference between self-restoring and non-self-restoring technology? So self-restoring insulation is not damaged by an impulse, and it essentially heals itself while non-self-restoring is permanently damaged by the impulse. So, for example, air is is self-restoring insulation, while a puncture in a piece of high-voltage cable is non-self-restoring. And I assume that an arrestor is an example of self-restoring technology? Correct. So, surge arresters are self-restoring because their internal components, or the MOV blocks, work to shunt surge currents to ground, ultimately resulting in a reduced voltage. Since this is an arrestor's inherent function, the result is that the device cannot be exposed to system-level BIL voltages. You mentioned the MOV blocks. Can you tell me a little bit more about those? Sure. The internal metal oxide arrestor, or MOV blocks, basically the heart of all high-voltage surge arresters, they function to shunt surge current to ground while also limiting the resulting voltage. The voltage-limiting nature of an MOV element helps ensure the voltage across the arrestor housing and the adjacent equipment is well below the system BIL. So I mentioned from the outset a misconception that we're trying to clear up with this podcast. What is that misconception? The misconception here is that surge arresters need to have the same BIL as the system in which they're installed on, while in reality, that isn't true. 
even though they are on the same system, the MOV elements or the heart of the arrestor help ensure that they aren't exposed to the same voltage as the rest of the system in the event of a surge. Now, to be clear, surge arresters do have BIL limits, but manufacturers are often asked by customers to design arresters to system BIL limits when this is an unnecessary request. And it results in what we call product overdesign. So, for example, designing a product capable of performing to far greater levels than what it'll be required to actually do. So, I get that overdesign, you know, isn't necessarily a great thing. But why is it a bad thing? Why is it worth doing, you know, a whole podcast to help people understand not to overdesign their surge arresters? With surge arresters and many other products, also BIL level is a function of size and precisely the height and the line-to-ground strike distance. So the higher the BIL, the bigger and costlier the product is also going to be. Okay, so we want to help customers save costs by avoiding specking out unnecessarily large or unnecessarily costly products. Is that about right? Certainly. Okay, so would you, I mean, you would think the installation code would offer some clarification or guidance here, right? You, you would think that this would all be resolved through the installation requirements. Actually, the opposite is true in this case. The National Electric Safety Code, or the NESC, has a table for line-to-ground, metal-to-metal clearances for substations. Now, years ago, the surge arrestor technology, silicone carbide, resulted in taller surge arresters than the minimum clearance, and size requirements were developed accordingly. But arrestor technology has evolved over time, and product designs that ensure the same amount of protection can now be physically fit into shorter housings, while the NESC size requirements did not evolve in the same fashion. So the result here is that most arresters perfectly capable of protecting the system are shorter than the NESC allows. Okay, so the issue isn't so much one of, you know, there's a limited space for an arrestor, so don't don't get a bigger one that you need. It's that the code has uh, unnecessary size requirement. Am I understanding that right? Correct. What's the solution then? Just change the code? Yeah, so one, one solution here is the NESC should be updated to require that products be certified to IEEE C6211. The IEEE standard provides design tests to validate the insulation level of a surge arrestor. And these tests also incorporate safety factors to ensure that a, a surge arrestor is going to be adequately sized for the application. Now, in the absence of an update, utilities could also spec their surge arresters based on C6211 and not necessarily the size requirements in NESC. Okay, so it, I mean, we know it takes time to update codes, and you know, I'm not sure off the top of my head when the next revision cycle is for the NESC. But you're saying, in the meantime, utilities should just go ahead and instead of citing NESC provisions, they should just say that the insulator should be spec to C62.11, which will get them the the right BIL and the right size of arrestor. Exactly. Uh, okay, well, I think that about sums it up. But Ryan, I always like to give my guests uh, the last word, uh, so I'll, I'll turn it over to you. Sure, and thanks for having me, Jonathan. We do appreciate the opportunity to discuss this important topic. And um, if there's any other topics of interest to our listeners out there, please just submit those ideas, and we'd be happy to take a look at them. Okay, thanks again for joining us, and thanks for listening, everyone in our audience. Uh, have a good day. Thanks again for joining us today. We hope you found this podcast educational and informative. For more information on the NEMA Surge Arrestor section and its activities, please visit nemaarresters.org. 
And to listen to other NEMA podcasts, visit nema.org slash podcasts.